Am I on? All right. Well, good morning. It's always good to see you. Always awesome to gather under the name of Jesus. Amen? And uh, just letting you know, we are taking the Lord's Supper today. So if you haven't got one of these, they're in the foyer in the back. Please make sure you get one uh, so you can participate with us to honor the Lord until he comes back. Uh, as you know, I, I like to encourage you to read the Word of God every day. So I want to encourage you to read John chapter 20, verse 31, especially in the light of today's message to know that what you have there in the Bible is given to you so you can know that you are saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus and that he has accomplished everything for you. John 20, verse 31. Know that. All right. Oh, yeah, one other thing. There is a men's barbecue dinner tonight at 5 o'clock. So men, you are invited to come eat, and then there's going to be an awesome race car, RC things in the back of the church. It'll be a good time. So I highly encourage you to come bring a friend. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. God, you are so good to us. There is nothing in this world that can compare to you. This world tries to compare itself to you, but Lord, we know it ends up for naught. It ends up in just vanity, Lord. There's, no, there's nothing that can compare to your gracious love over us. Nothing that can bring peace to us. Nothing that can bring joy. Nothing that can bring comfort. Everything else breaks. Everything else fades away. Everything else just deteriorates and rusts. But God, your, your love, your grace never ends. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for sending your son to establish that love and bond forever. God, we ask right now that you be with all the churches in, in, that are meeting in whatever places, whatever capacity, Lord, whether outside, inside, in homes, outside of homes, on top of buildings, in the desert. Lord, you know where your people are. So Lord, bless them so we can be united under you. Because Lord, this whole life is about you. It's all about you. And God, we ask right now also too, Lord, you, you be with those who are not here with us. Bless them, Lord. Bless those online who are watching. Make us all come together, Lord, and feel that unity of faith that your son established. And God, we ask that right now you, you bring forth to our minds the sins, Lord, to remind us that we have been forgiven so we can repent of them. And we can cling to your cross and flee from our sin, saying, Lord, cleanse me, heal me, change me. Because, Lord, we can't change our hearts, but you can. We just have to go to you by faith. Oh, thank you, Lord. Fill us then today with love, hope, and peace so we can consistently live out the faith before you, Lord, and bring you praise. Amen. Amen, amen. All right. So, you know, what makes the Christian religion so interesting, mysterious, and, and perplexing? And yes, Christianity is a religion. It is the only true religion. But what makes... It's so unique. It is a religion, the true religion. What makes it unique is that it's based upon a relationship. But here's the kicker. The primary focus of that relationship is on God and not you. 
Christianity is all about God seeking you and providing everything for you so you could be with him for eternity and have peace, joy, and hope and comfort. The emphasis in Christianity is all about what has been done and not about what you need to do. God has done everything for you through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. There is no more trying to obtain anything before him. No more trying to become someone before him. No more doing better before God to get his approval and love and favor. There's, it's only just having faith in Jesus. That's it. Faith in Jesus, that he has accomplished everything for you. Faith in Christ's finished work on your behalf. Faith in his life, death, and resurrection in your place. Faith in Christ alone. God has freed us then from all of our burdens of obtaining anything before him. God sought you out. He opened your eyes. He changed your heart. He made you a new creature. He did it all because you could not do it. One poet calls God the hound of heaven who, seek, who is seeking sinners who are lost without hope. So the gospel of, of God's grace is truly then good news. It's all about how God came to save you from the world, from the devil, from yourself, and from the wrath to come because of your sin. We were hopeless in ourselves, and God did something about it. The gospel, again, is all about what has been done, and it's not about what you must do. God did all the work, and you get all the benefits. By simply placing your faith in Christ. Not faith in yourself, not faith in your performance, but faith in Christ's performance on your behalf. If you have faith in Christ, you are saved no matter what the world says of you, no matter what those closest to you think of you. You are saved no matter what struggles and failures that you may be dealing with in this life. If you have faith in Christ, you are free. There is no burden of guilt to bear because Jesus bore all the guilt for you. So every day we must remember this gospel message that Jesus has done it all for us through faith in him. Not because of who we are or anything that we have done, but simply because of who he is. We are saved by grace and grace alone. And that he has given us his grace through faith for no other reason than he wanted to. Out of his love. He did not need to, but he wanted to. Out of his gracious love over you. And this is what gives us hope each day. Dwelling on this glorious gospel truth. And it is the only way, by dwelling on that, but dwelling on the gospel that will keep hope within ourselves. It is the only way to bring hope to yourself and bring hope to this world and not get dragged in to its hopeless divisions of hate, of fear, and worry, and despair. If we lose sight of the gospel, the glorious gospel of grace in our life, and place it at the back burner in the back of our minds and hearts. That is how we start to become apathetic 
to the lost people around us. When we stop spending time dwelling on the gospel and we spend more time dwelling on the hopelessness of the world, we start to become judgmental, bitter, impatient to the people around us. We start to raise our fist to all the problems rather than hands of prayer for God's grace and mercy when you forget the gospel. When we ignore taking time to ponder the vastness and greatness of God's grace over us despite our deficiencies and inconsistencies and to add to the fact our stupidities. Get all those E's in there. When we start, when we, when we forget that, we start to become fearful and a hateful people. We start to lose hope and give into the world's divisiveness to maintain a false sense of security, meaning, peace, comfort, and identity. Life starts then to become daunting because we see the world fueled by hate and its division of tearing itself apart, and we become obsessed with it so much that we then let that division of anger and fear start to sneak into our own personal lives amongst those closest to us and around us. Then life becomes all the more troubling and disheartening because, we're, because we become obsessed with everything else but the gospel of God's grace in our life. Everything takes priority before God. So when you start to see the world so full of evil, and we, we ourselves are wrestling and struggling with that evil every day, it is easy to forget that all of it has already been overcome through Jesus Christ, and we just need to go to Him and trust in Him. And when we forget to do that, when we forget this gospel, this glorious gospel, and we just see it as a nice story, but not a life-changing truth as Christians, when we, when we do that, when we forget it, and it's just something we do on a Sunday, then guess what? Doubt sets in our minds, and worry sets in our hearts, and we start to question, does God still love me? We start to question, is God still here for me? Have my mess-ups and failures and sins turned God away from me? Does God even care about what's happening to me and what's going on around me? Will God really get me through this horrible world? Or will he just abandon me because I'm not strong enough to do it on my own because I can't do anything about it? And so on and so on and so on and the questions go. And the doubt and fear and worry and desperation continue. When you forget the gospel. Paul then, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, is going to uplift us in the truth of the gospel of God's grace to keep us free from the world's divisiveness and encourage us in the hope that we have now through faith in Christ, despite our everyday struggles and failures. What he says here in these two verses will, by the grace of God, quiet our minds and calm our hearts to help us, as our title says, be hope-filled in a hopeless world. So let us look then in our text. Now, even though we are looking at verse 5, we're going to look at the full sentence of verse 5, and that starts at the end of verse 4. So it says this, In love... He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. 
Now remember, Paul is writing to believers. He is speaking to them to give them great encouragement in the Lord. Because just like us, they were facing a world of divisions and a world of evil. They too had their own struggles and problems and worries that, that were going on in their life. And, and Paul will speak about these things later on in the book. But what we have here is for the believer, for those of us who placed our faith in Christ. He is writing to those who chose to follow after Jesus and are now wrestling with the burdens of the world's problems and their personal problems in their life, just like us. So what we have here is Paul, right from the very beginning of this book, revealing gospel truths that should eradicate any burdens or worries or fear, no matter what is happening in the world around us or even to us in this current moment of life. And this brings us then to our very first point. Be hope-filled in a hopeless world by knowing from eternity past, God loved you. What you see here in the beginning of this sentence is Paul revealing the deep truth of God's heart over you. Paul is saying that the infinite, all-powerful, the being which all creation depends upon to exist, the God who always been, who always is, and will always will be, the one who needs absolutely nothing, this God chose to have a loving relationship with you. In love he predestined. Not because of anything you are, for what could you ever merit from an almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-perfect, holy, righteous God? You can merit nothing. There is nothing within you to have any claim upon him. He is God the creator, and you are a mere creature made from dirt. Genesis 1. So what entitlement could we ever have? What could you have? And on top of that, we have rejected him. For we are sinners who only deserve wrath and eternal punishment in hell. But despite this, God predestined us, predestined you and me to be brought into his family even though we didn't want it in the first place. God knew all about us from eternity past. He knew how depraved we would be, how truly unlovable we would be. He knew what wretches we were, and yet Paul says, out of his unconditional love, despite our sins that we would commit, God in eternity past predestined us to be, as Paul says, adopted to himself as sons. Meaning that his love for you and I was not and is not some, con some abstract concept and a general principle of love. What Paul, no, that's, what, that's not what Paul's getting at. What Paul here is saying, he's giving us a concrete expression of what that love is for you and me that he predestined us to, that we now have through faith in Christ. He treats us as his direct children. He says, through Jesus Christ. Do you get that? 
God is your father and you are his child through your union of faith in Jesus. God is your father to speak to you as to speak to him as your father and he treats you as his child which he loves you with a real fatherly love. God is and has always been seeking your highest good and that all started way back before you knew him and now you can experience it by faith alone. God had a caring plan over your life as a father before you were born. You did not come into this world by accident. You are not an accident. Your life has had a purpose before you even knew it, before you even took your first breath of fresh air, before you were even conceived. God was on the move to make sure you would be his child through what Christ would accomplish for you through faith in him. He had planned to treat you and love you as a son before you wanted anything to do with him. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, real quick. When Paul says sons here, men, you're like, sorry, women. No. Paul is not being demeaning towards women. In fact, he's doing the exact opposite when he says sons. He's putting both women and men on this, as the same status before God as children of God. Think of it this way. Back in ancient times, it was only the sons who would get the privilege and the rights, and the daughters would get nothing. So when Paul says adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, Paul is saying all people who have faith in Christ, male, female, young, old, all people who place their faith in Christ are on the same playing field when it comes to getting privileges and status and honor and so on and so on before God. We are all his sons, meaning that we all get the same access, the same love and the same blessings and inheritance from the Father. There are no second class Christians. There are no black sheep of the family of God. There's no burden then of trying to up your status before him or keep up your status before him. When God adopted you, your status changed before him through faith in Jesus and is now permanent because the cross is permanent. God is now always caring for you as his child and is always looking out for your betterment. How freeing is that? When the world is not looking out for your betterment. To know that Jesus did everything for you to be his child and he has sealed you by the blood of Christ. Christ has accomplished his mission of God's plan for your life to make sure you become a child of God and stay a child of God through faith in him so you can experience God's gracious love over you forever. So because of Jesus, you now have all rights and privileges and status before God. Jesus has obtained all of that for you. There is nothing for you to do to get these things because you could never do anything to earn these things. Just like you could do nothing to earn God's love. God did it all so we can rest in Jesus through faith in him. This means then, 
that you and I, all of us who believe in Christ, are now part and are now a part of something bigger than this world. Even if the world can't see it, your life is something bigger. You are now unique. You now have meaning. You now have worth. You now have dignity. You now have honor. You now have prestige before God. As you live in this world, because, because of all of Christ's accomplishments for you. You have the love of God upon you. You are now his child. What do you have to fear? What do you have to worry about? What do you have to be discouraged about? I would think nothing when you really dwell on it. Why? Because God has planned to bring you into his family back from eternity past. Now you have it through faith in his son. So he is guiding your life and directing your life as his child, which he loves unconditionally. God is watching you. He is with you ever so close. He is everywhere you go. So nothing happens to you now by chance, but happens because it's part of his plan for you as his child in which he loves. There are no oops moments with God over your life. There are no, oh, I didn't see that. I didn't know that. I didn't expect that. There are only meaningful moments of God's love and grace over you that you get to experience every, every day. So think of it this way. Be practical with it. Every fall you take, God is there to pick you up and put you back up on your feet again. He pulls you up, not you. There is no pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. Christ did all the pulling and the doing. Psalm 37, 23, verse 20 through 24 says, The steps of man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. He picks you up. To know that every worry or fear that you have, God is there to embrace you and tell you it's going to be okay because I am with you. I have done it all. Don't worry about it. I got your back. Isaiah 41, 9-10 says, I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And the passages could go on and on and on. But what an encouraging and humbling truth to know that all the sins that you have committed in the past and every sin that you have committed currently, and you're committing maybe even currently, every sin that you will commit in the future, to know that God had his son pay for all those sins upon the cross because in love he predestined you for adoption to himself as his child through faith in Jesus Christ. How can that not break your heart into repentance to flee from your sin, to know that Jesus paid for this? Why do I want to do that? I mean, 
God's grace is so good. I mean, to know the gospel truth that God has loved you before you existed. He knew all your wretched sins that you would commit. Then to know that he loves you right now in your current sins and he will love you tomorrow with the new sins that you will commit that you don't even know of yet, but he does. He still loves you and you receive his love despite it all, all through faith in Christ. This makes my brain explode. Who does that? What would ever motivate someone to love people who mess up all the time? Who loves people that are train wrecks? Let alone people who love, let alone loving people knowingly that they will mess up in the future and still love them anyways. This gospel of grace melts my brain. People just aren't like that. But God's grace is. I mean, truly, we are a free people by faith in Christ. Because God, through Christ's finished work upon the cross, has covered everything for us by faith in Him. That's remarkable. At the end of verse 5, Paul answers that question I was asking on what motivates God to love us and adopt us as sons through Jesus. And this brings us to our second and last point. Be hope-filled in a hopeless world by knowing God loves you because he loves you. I know that wasn't a mistake in typing. God loves you because he loves you. Paul says God did this according to the purpose of his will. And the word purpose here in the Greek means good pleasure. God did all of this in love for us according to his good pleasure of his will. Paul very bluntly says why he chose to love us. Why he chose to love you. Simply because that was his will. It brought him pleasure. God loves sinners. God loves you because God loves you. That's it. And there's nothing you can do to change that. For that is his will. To love you. And who can stop his will? Isaiah 14, 27 says, For the Lord of hosts has proposed. And who will annul it? His hand is stretched out. And who will turn it back? No one. God's gracious love is a mystery over us. But man, when we dwell on it, oh, what peace and joy it brings. What freedom it brings. What great comfort there is to know that through Jesus, God has done everything for us by faith in Christ simply because he loves us. God's love for you will never change because he, he has loved you back before time began, before you knew him. But he knew you and he loved you because he loved you. 
And I know that sounds weird. It's hard to process. But that's how God works. That's what makes grace so amazing. It's completely unmerited. And you see this truth also revealed in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 through 8, in speaking to Israel. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you. So why does this matter? Why focus so much that God has done everything for us before we knew it? Why focus on that he loves us because he loves us? Well, think of it this way, again, to be practical. Any struggles that you are dealing with will not remove God's love from you then. All the failures in your life and all the failures that you are wrestling with right now, whether at home or at the workplace or just in your mind, all the failures will not have God's favor be removed from you. All the wrongs that you have done, those things that are scary to talk about, those things you don't want to talk about, will end up not revoking God's precious care over you. Look, God loved you before you were trying to live according to his word by faith in Jesus. He loved you before you made that choice to follow Christ. So that means when you fail, when you sin, when you mess up, when you fall down, when you make the wrong choice deliberately, when you give in to lust, when you give in to pride, when you give in to hate, when you give in to the madness of the world, when you ignore God and basically call God a liar and think that giving into your sin is better than being obedient to his commands and you eat dirt because of it, and pain comes about and it seems to snowball because of the foolish choices you've been making, when you lose your honor in this world and no one will fight for you because of your foolishness, when you feel alone like an outcast from everyone because you just don't do the right things anymore, that's when this passage comes to light. Because it says God still loves you anyways and is closer to you than anyone else in this world. For he is your father who lavishes you with his unconditional love that he had for you before time began. And he sent his son to die for you so you could be with him for eternity through faith in him. And no one and nothing can ever take that away. For Christ has sealed you by Christ's blood. Excuse me, for you have been sealed by Christ's blood through faith in him. That is the joy of the gospel, church. Jesus did it all for us so we can truly rest in him. You can't earn his love his favor or his grace, and you can't lose his love, his favor or grace. You can only receive it and experience it by placing faith in Jesus. For God truly loves sinners. And that's what makes us so free. So when Paul says then in verse 6, to the praise of his glorious 
grace in which he has blessed us in the beloved. What he's saying is that the ultimate purpose, then, why God did all this, he loved us because he loved us, is all to the praise of his glorious grace. Salvation happens so that all can praise God for his amazing grace over wretched sinners. This is the ultimate purpose of why Christ did what he did and why, why God did what he did. So that all can see his gracious character and how truly gracious he is to praise him. For God loved us out of his grace, so we in turn then praise him for his grace. As Paul concludes, which he has blessed us in the beloved. Or a more direct translation, which he has graced us in his beloved son. Everything we have is freely given to us because of Jesus. And we have the greatest gift that we could ever have in the world. We have a relationship with God himself because of his grace over us through faith in Christ. Amen. Sinners have been reconciled with a holy God through faith in Jesus. That fact reveals God's glorious grace to the world and tells the world that he should be praised. So the more we live by the grace of God and the more we speak of the grace of God to others, we reveal God's glorious grace to be praised. For all glory and honor belong to God and God alone. It is only by his grace, to the praise of his grace, that this world will be saved. God will not let anything else steal his glory. He rightly deserves because of the grace in which he has blessed us in the Son. So you want to bring unity to our world? You want to break down walls? You want to bring stability in your home? You want to save this nation? You want to bring peace to your life and those around you? You want to be hope-filled in a hopeless world? Think upon God's message of grace and speak of his message of grace to all. That is how you will be hope-filled in a hopeless world and how you will bring hope to this world. Amen?